Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Silverwood, and very pleased to bring to you this episode, which features Nordea Dreyer, otherwise known as Namib Nordea on Instagram. He runs Ocean Conservation Namibia with his wife and supporters. They are the guys who go out to this remote region in Southwest Africa and rescue seals that have become entangled in all sorts of crazy stuff. He uploads the videos to Instagram or to his YouTube. He's got over 245,000 followers and subscribers on YouTube, over 80,000 on Instagram. And he's just a perfect example about how one person can make a difference. We always like to think, can one person really make a difference? Watch this guy's exploits and you will soon realize they certainly, certainly can. But what I found intriguing about this chat is that we often think about pollution draining from cities and urban areas being flushed out of the environment in big rivers where it then causes these problems. In the instance here, we're talking about one harbour, which happens to be a safe haven for a lot of fisheries and a lot of shipping activity, and the pollution seems to be coming from just this one area. So as much as Nordea is out there trying to rescue these innocent creatures on a daily and weekly basis, his vision is on how to stop this problem from happening. And this is a real indication of just how wicked and complex the problem of plastic pollution and items being dumped overboard from ships really is. So I commend your work, Nordea. Hopefully everyone can go and jump on and check out these YouTube videos and follow him on Instagram. The guy is a legend and we were so thankful to have this conversation with him. Thanks as always for tuning in to the Ocean Impact Podcast. Hello everyone, Tim Silverwood here from Ocean Impact Organization and very excited to be hosting an Instagram live podcast recording with Nordea Dreyer who is the man behind what could only be considered a phenomenon which is the Ocean Conservation Namibia project. Uh, Nordea's Instagram account has over 82,000 followers. Uh, his YouTube channel for Ocean Conservation Namibia has over 246,000 followers. And why is this occurring? It's because this man is going to absolute incredible lengths with his team and supporters to capture entangled seals in his hometown of Pelican Point in uh, Namibia. And I've just accepted the invitation from Nordea. So he will be tuning into this Instagram live now. Hello, my friend. Tim, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. I've been sort of buzzing about this Instagram live conversation with you for a while now. Thank you so much for your time. Anytime. Cool. I've been uh, here, man. I've been pretty excited too. Thanks for the, for the cool introduction. Hey, no worries. Um, I think I can't even actually recall when I first came across your incredible work, but like everyone who follows you, I think it was an immediate 
love affair and obviously being able to talk to you um, a couple of times now and learn more about you. It's just, uh, it's just brilliant. So yeah, thank you. So let's, um, let's dive into this conversation. I think, um, yeah, for those of you obviously tuning in and familiar with Nadia's work, then you maybe don't know a lot about my work, but I've been working on plastic pollution for over a decade. And so to see someone like yourself just charging ahead and doing so much as an individual and with a small team, it's just been um, amazing. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the origin story to how you got involved with rescuing entangled seals near your home in Namibia. Yeah, cool. So yeah, we um, basically, I've, I've always grown up in a conservation background. My parents are conservationists and uh, just had this sort of installed in me from a young age to, to look after nature. I've uh, been surfing for most of my life and um, just always seen myself as a bit of a, like a, a custodian of the ocean, especially around here. So um, I started up a, um, my wife and I started up a company doing kayaking tours about eight or nine years ago um, in Pelican Point, close to our hometown. And, and about eight years ago, we found the first seal entangled in some uh, netting in the water. A friend of mine, we dragged him to the beach and managed to cut him loose. And it was, it was a really cool feeling. Um, we knew we'd save this guy's life. And since then, that sort of organically evolved. Every once in a while, we'd find a seal not particularly looking for them, just opportunistically see a seal, do what we could to try and help it. And from about three, four years ago, it just sort of evolved into a bit more of, of an obsession, you might say. And uh, we were, and from about, I'd say like two and a half, three years ago, I've been actively looking for them, um, looking for entangled animals while we're on tour, always just while we're on tour. And this has led up to a point uh, where last year we caught probably around 300 seals for the year and beginning of this year um, my wife and I decided to start up ocean conservation in Namibia. This problem is just so huge we need to bring bring light uh, thanks to, to um, social media this suddenly become a global issue not just something we're sitting with alone. It, it's, it, it's been amazing so we started up ocean conservation in Namibia and with uh, the lockdown it's given us an awesome opportunity to be out there every day so I mean, we were now on just yesterday, we hit 450 seals for the year that we've just caught this year so far. So it's incredible. It's, uh, there's a massive need for, for the work we're doing. I'd like to understand a little bit more about this geographic location. Obviously, people tuning in from all around the world. So describe where on planet ocean it is that you live. And where, maybe you can, that can be a segue into what makes this location a specific uh, problem for the seal populations there? Okay, so, um, well, Namibia is in the southwestern corner of, uh, of Africa. Um, so just above South Africa on the west coast. We've got the cold Benguela current system running up here, very rich water system, very cold and um, massive, teeming with, with marine life. A lot of fish in that and obviously a big seal population. So we've got probably around one and a half million seals in Namibia. Uh, which is sustained by, by very rich fishing waters. But the, the particular problem is with this colony of ours that I'm dealing with most of the time is that uh, we've got a massive fishing port. So Walfus Bay, the peninsula where I'm working on, we're, we're in a big bay. And uh, if this is the bay, then this would be the point and the town is, is in the bottom of the bay. So 
Um, we've got close proximity to this massive fishing port. We have a lot of ships anchored in the bay just for cold stacking, safekeeping, storage, repairs. So it's a very busy port. So we're, we're very close to a lot of heavy industry and a lot of fishing not too far offshore. So they're just a lot more exposed. It's not to say there's no entanglements in the other colonies. I just think the one I'm dealing with here is more exposed to, to, these, uh, to these elements. And it's also actually the only um, Namibia... I think something like 80% of the Namibian coastline is, is MPA, uh, Marine Protected Area, which is a great thing. It's one of the, the highest ratios in the world, but um, it also means we don't really have access to the other colonies. So it's very difficult to actually collate how much worse the extent of the damage is. So has it always been this industrial center here? You mentioned it's a hub for shipping and fishing. Has it always been this way? Yeah, um, it's the only deep water port in Namibia. So that was the, the, the origins of the town hundreds of years ago were as a, as a, a stopover for ships um, traveling from, from Europe to the east and um, got colonized uh, by the British first, the Germans, and it's just always been a, a very busy shipping hub. So, yeah, that is essentially the, the essence of the town. The whole town is the economy. Everything is, is based around fishing and shipping. You talk a lot that you are dealing with the symptoms of this problem. So I would love this conversation to be around what you foresee to be the solution. So maybe we just even go straight there. Like you've been doing this now for eight years. The problem, is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Are you starting to put a lens on what you think the solution will be so you don't have to keep doing this incredible work that you do? It's, it's difficult. I, don't, I think it's very difficult to say if it's getting worse. We, we are catching more seals, but I'm also devoting a lot more time, more concentrated time to it. So it's difficult to say it's getting worse. But, but yeah, you're very right. I'm always maintaining, we're just treating the, the symptoms here. And there's a lot that needs to be done. The first thing is to, to bring to light the problem, just to, to raise awareness, which we're doing now quite well, I think. We're, a lot of people are aware of the problem. Um, and now trying to, to mitigate this problem. Um, we, there's a lot of ideas we're tossing around. We've been very uh, restricted with the lockdowns. I mean, our country has been in a heavy lockdown since March. So it's very difficult, um, the amount we could do about it right now. But there's the first, I mean, I always maintain the, the, the base of this is, is education. Um, getting this to the fishermen, to the industry, speaking to the guys and firstly making them aware of the problem. It could be that they're not aware about this problem at all in the first place. Um, Namibia doesn't have the highest level of education and uh, it, it could be that these people just simply don't know the results of their actions. And then getting, uh, and then trying to change the attitude. Now, it's a very difficult, it's a hard sell because seals are not uh, the favorite animals of the fishermen. They do see the seals is a, is a big culprit of, of fish loss, uh, stock loss. So, so it's very difficult how to, to, to manage this and something I'm still trying to figure out. But um, in terms of mitigation, there, there are a few plans. Uh, so one of our biggest, uh, by far our most common entanglement is, uh, is um, the fishing lines. The, the, so these are commercial hand lines. The guys are fishing, uh, it's a fish called snook. It's, it looks a lot like a barracuda. It's a pelagic schooling fish the guys got, and they'll catch hundreds of these fish by hand line. And these hand lines get broken off, discarded, whatever. So about 80% of these of the seals we're catching are actually stuck in these lines. So 
something small I want to start with. I think a lot of these lines are they get knotted up and the guys just toss them overboard, not even thinking about, not even thinking twice about it. So we want to install bins on the boats, collection bins for these for these lines, um, and even to a point where we incentivize this by buying the lines back from the guys. Uh, it's just uh, to 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 make it a little bit more worthwhile. Um, until we can get to the point where people stop tossing the lines over on their own accord, at least just to try and control that, that damage a little bit. Do you and think then, they're tossing them overboard uh, when they're coming back to port or is this a behaviour that's happening when they're out in the fishing grounds? Look, a lot of lines break while the guys are fishing and are lost at, at sea. Um, the seals also, we, we get quite a few seals. Let me show you the, so they've got a long, they got a, a long hand line. And then this this hook, so it's a very heavy duty uh, hook with a weight on it. They get tossed over and pulled back in like a lure. And uh, so we we do get quite a lot of seals with these hooks in their mouths, and the seals do sometimes actually go for the lures themselves. And these seals are extremely strong, so the guys can only hold on for so long till the lines break. So those are, are out, of, out of the hands of the fishermen. Um, but I think a lot of the lines, once maybe at the end of the day, once the guys are cleaning up, they the thing is, they're working on hand lines, they're standing on the lines, often there's big knots. And if the fish are biting, I think it's just a matter of cut off the old line, toss it, get the new line set up and keep going. You don't want to lose productivity. So um, I need to, to find out more about where, where these lines are actually coming from. If they, if they purposefully tossed overboard just to, to, make, to keep space on the deck or um, if they're accidentally lost overboard, where, where the main lines, and if they are, if there's any chance to keep them on board, then we need to exploit that. Yeah, well, we had a conversation over IG Live with Ben Neppers from Boreo, who work with fishermen in Chile and have now expanded to Argentina and, and Peru. And they essentially have got a take-back scheme for old fishing nets, which they now turn into high-value products like that Patagonia hat rim that you're wearing, skateboards, sunglasses. So there is models There is models out there where these take-back schemes offering a high value for those returned items can work. So I suppose the, the challenge for you is, um, you know, this is a, it's a relatively new journey for you. And now you've set up the conservation charity. It's where your focus lies because you know there's seals out there that need your attention, but you've also got this upstream solution that I'm, I'm sure is calling you. That, that's the, the paradox. I still want to be out there catching seals all the time. And that's, so we've, we've just jumped into this whole um, nonprofit thing. And it, it, there's just so many <laughs> different avenues, avenues to look at. But just to jump back a little bit now to what you were talking about, lines, like in an ideal world, um, something we'd love to, to have implemented one day would be a system where nets and lines have to be bought on an exchange system. Like how cool would it be that you could only buy lines um, if you bring back the previous batch of lines that you've bought to ensure that those come back. The same with nets. And if you've lost them, there's either a heavy penalty or you've got, to, this, you've got to account for every little, like every meter of line that you've lost. A lot of admin, obviously it's very idealistic, but it'd be such, a, such an amazing system to, to implement. Yeah, and let's hope there's people around the world, solutionists, who are already thinking about this, you know, the um, ability to put chips and tags 
in products is uh, is growing very yeah. rapidly. The cost is coming down, so it's certainly available. Are you an anomaly in the town where you live? I mean, obviously you have conservation in your DNA, but what is it like for other people? Are you getting as much of a positive response from your community locally as you are globally? Um, there is a, I mean, our, our people are aware of me and, and, and I, I, I chat on local TV shows and, and, and radio and that, but it, it's still, um, again, especially in town, people are very unobjective to seals. They're by no means a threatened species around you either. So it's not a, uh, it's not a rhino or, um, or something like that, that, that has the big, uh, cute or wow factor. Um, there is, uh, there is definitely a movement yes i'm getting people phoning me all the time seeing birds seals anything so there there's definitely a, a consciousness shift here um that and and most people just did not even know there was a problem at all in the first place so it's a um it's a really uh yes i, I would say to, to a certain extent yes um not as rapidly and, and as much but one thing that's very cool now, the, the, the local fishing factories, because um, they always, when they, the boats come in and they, there's fish falling overboard, they bring a lot of, uh, they attract a lot of seals. And there's a lot of these packing straps lying around the factories in the water and that as well. So I'm getting guys phoning me from the factories all the time uh, saying, listen, there's a seal here, come and attend, see if we can catch it, see if we can get it freed up. And, and that's cool. The word is getting out. And with that, it just hopefully is going to expand on, on, on the message. Yeah, and I think this is where, and you know, you've got to play to your strengths and your passions and your focus. And it does sound like at the moment that still uh, is the entanglement rescues. Um, so, do you want to sort of jump into a conversation there around? Do you have any direct needs or support that is tangible right now that can maybe help you with some of that other work that? doesn't involve that physical because that's obviously highly skilled and you're very trained for that. Is there any specific needs you've identified that would help you with your broader mission? Yeah, so um, one thing we're working on, we, we, we're working with a few scientists um, from, there's some from France, a few from South Africa, and I'm, I'm dealing with guys in the States as well. And to be able to implement any change to, 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 to change policy. Like in South Africa, policy has been changed that these packing straps have to be cut. Like you, they may not be going to a ship, there may not be a, um, any, anything in a loop, a loop of line, a packing strap, anything like that may not be complete. Like if you see it lying around, it must be cut. And to change this policy, we need to back this up by, with proper scientific data. So that's why we're bringing in, we're working along with a couple of scientists now to try and get some conclusive data, write papers, and we can take this to government with recommendations and, and change policy. Um, other than that, um, we are, if we can, if we can find, we're looking at, at, at various uh, upcycling options for the, for the fishing lines. There are, there are actually, the monofilament fishing line is actually a very recyclable material. So if we can set up, um, um, I don't know if you've, if you've seen the, the Precious Plastics uh, platform, 
Yeah. Um, they've got some very cool uh, open source uh, technology that you can download and, and build your own shredders and things. So it'd be awesome if we can empower a, a community project to, um, to then bring in all these nets um, that they can eventually they can work directly with the fishing factories, get in all these things, recycle them properly and repurpose them to, to other things that can be, can be used. Um, so what you're doing is you've got a secondary upliftment program and an awareness of, um, of, of the problem and also at the same time uh, keeping lines and, and nets out of the ocean. I feel that I've obviously never had the chance to visit and experience your local area in the flesh, but it does feel to me like it's achievable with the growing global awareness, the incredible innovations that are out there for upcycling, models that exist to take back schemes. Do you feel like this is something that can be tackled in X number of years? Do you feel like you can you know, achieve this, this mission that you've set yourself, which is to obviously prevent this problem from happening? I do believe it is attainable. It's just um, it's something that, that will take time. It's something that's not going to happen overnight, unfortunately. It's a, um, it'll be a long process, but this, this consciousness shift is happening globally and, uh, and, and on a local level too. Look, you, we're living in a country with, with extreme poverty. Um, animal rights, well, animal welfare is, is not very high on most people's priority list. And I, I can't expect that to be. If you don't know how to feed your kids at the end of the day and uh, you're not worried about the welfare of a seal, that is going to have no impact on your life. But at the same time, there is a, there is a shift and it is coming. We, we, the big thing now we're trying to do is to get to schools. I've already got a couple of schools lined up that I will visit local schools um, in the poorer communities that I will bring the pictures, bring the, show the stories and, uh, and be able to just make these kids aware. Again, I keep going back to education. If we can start with the youth and work on it and, and change their minds and, and working on a bit more of a long-term plan, then, then hopefully uh, we can affect some sort of change. Yeah, and I think this is where we've connected in the past because that really is the origin story behind my activism and actionism with Plastics Through Take Three for the Sea. It started before this was a mainstream issue back in 2009 and I've watched the mainstream snowball gather steam and roll down the hill and it's, it's happening now. Um, but then the wicked, the really wicked part starts when you actually then go into a a micro setting like you are in and you realize just how hard it is even to create the kind of change that's required there in that one geographic location around the world. A question I had, do you have any rivers inputting uh, land based pollution into the sea near you or is it really mostly coming from local communities and the ships? So that, that's the thing. Um, our beaches are actually um, our beaches are actually quite clean. We, we don't have any, look, we've got, Namibia has got a very small, it's a huge country with a very small population. We've got less, we've got just over 2 million people. Um, and of which, because we've got no major rivers, no major sources of fresh water on the coast. We're not a traditionally fishing nation. There's no like ancient artisanal fishing really going on here. Um, so there's only four, towns in the entire coastline with a collective population of maybe 250,000 people. Um, also on top of that, no major rivers at all, which is a big 
because we're a very dry desert country. So there's the northern border and the southern border are perennial rivers, um, and they, they, they flow all the time, but in between there's nothing. You've got a few rivers that might come down in flash floods, bring a bit of plastic, but no, you don't have this. Uh, so our beach, you drive on the beaches, they're actually pretty keen. Most of our, our beach rubbish is shipborne. It's a lot of shipping coming through here. We're the main import-export hub for, for the whole of southwestern Africa. So, and then obviously all the fishing as well. So um, there needs to be a focus on... Our government also needs to come to the party in terms of strengthening dumping rules and things, adhering to this. this I mean, there are international standards, but this thing, there's not enough, uh, um, I would just say, monitoring and, and uh, control here. So people take advantage of that. People are still coming in, cleaning their bulges in the bay and uh, doing things they're really not allowed to. Um, so, sorry, I'm running a bit off track here, but, but again, um, it, it needs to be, <laughs> we, we just, it all comes down to to to, to monitoring and control and, and trying to yeah change it from from a, a an, an ministerial level as well. Um, but yeah, back back to the original. Our beaches are relatively quite clean. It, it, it's mainly shipborne rubbish. Yeah, I think that's um, that's that's a good thing, right? Because there is international rules, uh, not very well governed, of course, because the ocean covers two thirds of our planet and we're not peeking and looking at what everyone is doing. It's why we have such huge problems with maritime pollution. But when it comes to a port and a dedicated location, it is achievable, obviously taking into um, consideration all the local uh, unique characteristics. But is there like a, a port authority or any governing um, entity that looks after activities around the port? We do have uh, Namport, yeah, we do have a local port authority and these rules are in place, but it's very, it's not that they're doing daily patrols. Out. We've got about 50 boats on anchorage um, out in the port. A lot of these are, are oil ships, um, just due to the recession, ships come here, we're a very safe anchorage. They're not drilling here, but they're just standing here. They're being cold stacked, but they still need to be manned all the time. So we are finding a lot of like hard hats, uh, jackets, um, Tins from paint rings. Um, there's this thing we've been picking up all the time lately. There's this, you can see there's this, it's a very hard rubber and uh, it's got these little hooks on it. And we, we, we caught four or five seals stuck in these, in these things and it, it gets really tight. So it cuts really deep into them. And we figured out, uh, someone contacted us and said, these are, uh, it's a heat exchanger. So on a cooling system or heating system on a ship with a big refrigeration system, it's a heat exchanger gasket. So suddenly someone's done a lot of repairs on their cooling system and their refrigeration system and just felt the need to toss this overboard. So it is highly, highly illegal. There'd be massive, massive fines, but to pinpoint it back to that perpetrator is very, very difficult. And that's the problem. It is indeed. Tell us about how you're going with, um, with support. Now, if it wasn't COVID, you would be running a tourism operation. How has your life changed? Have you got uh, a passion and desire now to, to use all your fundraising and support from around the world to just do the conservation project or what's your hope for the future? So absolutely, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, I've got a really good team on the, on the tour side, so that can carry on. I'm, I'm committing myself fully to ocean conservation in Namibia. Support has been overwhelming. It, luckily it's, a, it's an easy sell in terms of fundraising. Um, I always find like 
research and things struggle so much to to raise funds whereas this is tangible people can see the direct results of the of the funding so the funding firstly enables us to be out there every day keep us keep our equipment up to date i mean fuel food everything does add up and uh, so support has been overwhelming we we're also um we've managed to to monetize our youtube channel which has really helped just to bring in a bit of extra to cover the day-to-days and organizations are stepping in as well now. Leatherman has been amazing sending us all these tools. Uh, we're getting gloves. Um, after I got bitten a while ago, like we've got, I've got so many pairs of Kevlar sleeves and things coming, uh, protective wear coming from all over the world now. So people are really keen to help. So that, no, um, the support has been, been really incredible and it's fully, fully enabling us to, to do this now every day on a full-time basis. That's so awesome to hear because as uh, you would acknowledge, that's often the hardest part of any nonprofit organization or project that's built around passion is finding those supporters. So glad to hear you're off to work. While we're there, what is the call to action for people that do want to donate? You've got a, a go get funding as you've got a Patreon. Where do you want to send people? Um, yeah, we've got, uh, there's, uh, we've got a go get funding campaign going, which is, uh, Basically, um, our version of the GoFundMe in Namibia, uh, in Namibia isn't all Go, GoFundMe is not supported in Namibia, so Go Get Funding is a, a, a similar platform. We've got a Patreon, and then also, <laughs> if uh, if you're not gonna, if if you can't support, like just share the videos. If you're gonna watch on YouTube, run through the ads. It helps us, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, it's um, just by sharing the message, people always feel they need to need to donate money. It, it, it's not everyone can. It's really not not never going to judge anyone. But just spread the word. Uh, it's so easy. Just click the button and then share, and uh, it just means more people will get exposure to to what we're doing. Let's talk about this. I mean, it looks like you're a bit of a phenomenon when you look at some of the numbers on your social media and YouTube. Do you consider it a phenomenon? Like, are you blown away? Tell us what this journey's been like from going from a passionate individual to a bit of a digital superstar. Ah, completely. It's, it's, it's weird. It actually started about um, four or five years ago. It was actually, I was on my way back from a tour and uh, we picked up, I found a, a young dolphin on the beach. He was, he was flapping on the beach. He was still alive. Did a quick assessment, checked him out. He was still pretty strong, so I, I carried him into the water and let him go. And I asked one of the clients to film it because I wanted to show my kids when I got home. And uh, my wife said, oh, Facebook page has been really quiet for the tours. And just put it on there, and this thing just blew up completely. It had like 20 million views in a, in a couple of days. So it already just it gave me a little <laughs> insight in that. But I never actually um, posted it on, on Instagram or anything like that. Um, again, with the same thing, I just – I was – I bought it in the content. I'd only really started filming the rescues from about three years ago. Actually, I wasn't even filming them before again, just to show the family and just to put something, um, show people what I'm doing. And, uh, and it just took off the beginning of last year. I was, I was still on, I think about two or 3000 followers and it just exploded, uh, exponentially. Same thing with the, with YouTube. We, we've spent a lot of time doing all the editing myself. My wife has, has been running YouTube for, like she's been spending so much time reading up on how to optimize and everything. And so we, we put a lot of effort into this. It didn't just happen by accident, but uh, it, it's, it's paid off really well. Uh, people, again, we really overwhelmed by it's something we do every day. So we don't see the significance in it, but for some reason people like to see little seals <laughs> getting help. Of course they do. I mean, and that's what I, 
I love to imagine the story behind each and every one of your followers and each and every one of your views, because of course, on one hand, it's educating about the problem. And sometimes there's some gore and sometimes there's some sad stories, but it's ultimately a positive story and an educational story. Yeah, absolutely. There's, I mean, there are always the, we'll say there are a couple of the videos that don't make it out there. There are some, there are some, uh, some sad stories. Um, every once in a while, we do find a seal um, that's dead on the beach with an entanglement <clears throat> that we just never saw, never got to, and that's always really sad. But it, it's a complete uh, exception now compared to what it used to be. We're finding maybe one dead seal every two months, where five years ago it was three or four a day. So, so yeah, <laughs> every every seal every seal has its own story. It's it's. Uh, I love to always think like, how did you get yourself into this? I mean, you find the most strangest things out there and uh but yeah back to the the people to make everyone has so many people come with with personal little stories you, you start to get your your sort of regular followers it's amazing how to build a rapport and uh, some really really interesting people out there i'm quite a social person so it's I, I really enjoy where this is going i have a love hate relationship with social media and the demands of building an online community sounds to me like you and your wife and your family are, are okay with this is it is it going okay it's not too overwhelming yet it is it's it's crazy that's why I told you we we took a week to go camping I just I didn't switch on my phone or, or computer for a week I really needed like a screen detox I'm not used to spending that much time on the on the phone and the computer and it, it's pushed me into into a point so I'm spending the whole morning um, going out looking for seals, come back, and then it's emails and comments and thank yous and editing and posting. And it, it's, it, it's really, uh, so we, we still need to figure out a bit of time management, but I also don't want to, it's, I don't want to outsource it to somebody else. I don't want to pay someone to just sit and answer comments and things. I like the, the direct link, but it, it's a very difficult thing to manage. I'm, I'm sure you've seen on your own platforms. It's, uh, it, it's yeah, it, it, it can get very overwhelming, that is for sure. I just realized that we're having this conversation. You have actually been out this morning to uh, the point I'm assuming. Did you want to tell us a little bit about your recent experience, whether it's today or just since you've been coming back from your camping trip? Um, yeah, so we, this morning was good. Uh, went out a bit earlier and got back. We caught seven seals this morning, which is it's a good morning. Um, um, <laughs> Yeah, I just, uh, my, my shoes are still soaking wet. I knew where to chase one right down into the water. But um, we, since we got back, um, so big highlight has been, uh, we caught the seal we named Julius. He's a man, it's Antoine, who's just left and I've been, been tracking him for about three, three or four weeks now. We saw him for the first time. And it's a really big guy, this huge bundle of net around his neck, in his mouth, like really, really bad. And uh, but he'd always been in really dense groups close to the water. And we had three different days where we went down, went right into the water, and we just missed him. We couldn't, we couldn't get him, and uh, and we didn't see him for for a whole week. And then we went away, and I was so scared he'd just gone somewhere to die because he was quite thin. And on we came back from the camping on Saturday and Sunday. I drove out to the point with my son, um, and I saw him again, and I was just like, oh man, because he'd obviously had enough energy to go off and do a bit of hunting because he still looked quite strong. He'd actually put up a little bit of weight, but uh, still really need to get rid of this. And my son was like, yeah, let's go, let's go. And I was, he's 10 years old. And I'm like, 
no, dude, we can't do this. This is going to be so dangerous because the man, the lines in his mouth, like one of us, you need someone to hold the seal, pin the seal down, another person through the cutting very close to these very sharp teeth and couldn't put him into either of those positions. So it was a bit difficult. So I said, listen, sitting here, it's a windy day, like normally in this kind of weather, like, and if he's just come back from sea, he's going to be there tomorrow. So next morning, Denzel and I went out first thing and he was in the exact same spot still and we managed to catch him. So it's been a, it was, it was very, very cool. Like not often the, not often do we name seals, so he was—he's obviously made a big impression on us, and uh, it was such a victory to get him. I'm going to post the video to tomorrow night on on, on YouTube. I've been editing it for the last few days. I'm so excited about it. How often? Uh, how long does it take you to do the editing of the footage once you've been out and done a, a day of rescues? Uh, it depends. It depends very much. If I'm just doing like a, a one quick like video, it'll take me. 20 minutes, half an hour. So I'm, I'm very, very new to this editing thing. And like, I am not a, an editor by any means. And I still very manual process for me. So you can see by the editing, it's, it's still very basic, but um, it's, uh, it'll take me between half an hour and, and two hours, depending on if sometimes I'll do these little compilations or bring in a voiceover or something. I try to get a little tricky and fancy every once in a while and it takes me a lot longer but yeah i'd say half now but i'm at a point now where i rather try and apply myself with a couple of hours try and knock out like a whole weeks of edits and just so i don't have to go back to it all the time absolutely so um you do capture data don't you from each and every entanglement case so is that something you you knew was going to be important from the very beginning or when did you start doing the, the data collection? Data collection came in probably around two years ago. Um, I work quite closely with the Namibian Dolphin Project. So they're a research-based uh, marine mammal organization in Namibia and all the data gets fed back to them. We've got a couple of people writing different papers on entanglement like consistency trying to figure out trends with ages and uh, sexes and things like that who is more susceptible to it and um so yeah everything gets logged on the beach firstly and come back and i put it in a data sheet on a spreadsheet and uh all the entanglements as well you'll see each bundle of entanglements will always have a, a date on it so there, i've got like a whole corner in my garage it's like half half the size of a car just with a mountain of, of entanglements from from the last uh, two years as well. Um, we've actually got a very cool project now. We've just shipped off a whole bunch of lines. We didn't ship it, uh, a bit worried about the old carbon footprint. So Antoine made him leave some of his clothes behind when he left and he's filled up his whole bag with kilos and kilos of fishing line. It's going to the UK as a very cool uh, project in the line, uh, which we'll be announcing and talking about pretty soon. I'm very excited about that. All I can think of is, uh, is welcome to the club, the amount of passionate rubbish collectors, not always collecting it from live seals, mind you, but there is garages and sheds and people's houses that are full of plastic and other bits of pollution because it's a, it, everything's got a story and obviously if you can apply it into art or education, it's a really powerful tool. Yeah, absolutely. So if anyone's listening, like if anybody has a, an idea for a cool art installation, that involves fishing lines, backing straps, hooks, oh, pretty much whatever you can think of, please give me a shout. I'm very, very happy to have the stuff used, uh, used productively. It'll be so cool to, to repurpose any of this. Awesome. 
Look, um, I think we can almost come close to the end of our awesome little IG live, but um, I would love just to open the floor up to you. Nadia, do you want to talk to anything in particular that we haven't quite got to today? Do you want to ask me any questions? I want to just uh, throw it back to you a little bit. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I just wanted to say. I want to see where, where you guys are heading. I mean, you've got this very cool, uh, I nearly, 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 uh, just before we were uh, started, I nearly shaved off half my beard. Um, <laughs> yeah, that following. was uh, for everyone tuning. Yeah, everyone tuning in. There was a Australian base, actually now in twelve countries. It's a, a campaign environmental project called Half Cut, and for the month of August, you raise funds that go to the acquisition of uh, pristine rainforest because essentially half of the world's rainforests have been lost in recent years. And so as part of the end of the campaign, after you've done your fundraising, you either need to shave half of your beard or plait or braid half of your hair or, you know, wear half a face of makeup. So I had half a beard a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, I nearly did that, but I'm glad I... So yeah, I was checking this. It's, it's, it's a very cool initiative. Uh, and tell me just like the your, I mean... You guys just seem to be going from strength to strength with uh, with Ocean Impact Org. Like, what is what's happening with that? What is your your main what is the main uh, sort of mission with this? Yeah. So for everyone tuning in, um, after ten years of building this charity, which still continues, take three for the sea. It's got an incredible story, uh, both past and future. Um, but I decided there was there was more to be done to to help Planet Ocean, and I really believe strongly in the opportunities around innovation and good business, purpose-driven impact businesses. Like what if there were solutions out there that could enable those fishermen to either give back net or to make it that, you know, buy one, get one back uh, initiative you spoke to before or to upcycle or, you know, maybe there's even a future where, you know, there's not as much reliance on commercial fishing because we're growing protein either in aquaculture or even in a lab where it can be not even a meat-based um, source of protein. So there's so much innovation that we need to see. So Ocean Impact Organisation is trying to be that hub to bring in the innovators and the entrepreneurs and the disruptors and the big thinkers to try and do things differently, to do things better for the sake of the ocean. And so we're running a big campaign at the moment, calling for startups who are doing this work, who are trying to improve the way we treat planet ocean. And so applications are open now until the 5th of October from all around the world. We've got cash and prizes for the winners. And this is the start of our journey just to keep on supporting more entrepreneurs and more businesses to do good for the planet. And you're running this worldwide. It's not just bound to Australia. Yeah, it's worldwide. Uh, obviously, we're an Australian-based organisation, so a lot of the support from the partners that we've brought together are Australian-based organisations. So, uh, but the cash will be get transferred into whatever currency the winner happens to come from, uh, and we are we exist to help these businesses and entrepreneurs. So we'll do whatever we can to help their business succeed and scale. Yeah, that's awesome. And tell me this. Um... I've been reading, I've seen such amazing, this whole like um, 30 by 30 uh, campaign, this initiative to, to have 30% of the oceans protected by, by, by 2030. I mean, I think this is, it's groundbreaking. We're living on the, on the cusp of like a, a, the blue revolution. And uh, this is, it, it's so, so important that this happens. And like, 
what are your your feelings on this? Do you think it's attainable? Do you think there's going to be enough support? To, like, can we can we actually make this happen? We have to go for it with everything we've got, and there is brilliant organisations and individuals and philanthropic foundations that are invested in this campaign to have 30% of the ocean protected by 2030, and it's essential. We know they work. Marine protected areas have such a phenomenal impact on preserving that site, seeding other sites, creating jobs and opportunities around tourism. So it simply has to happen, but there is naturally a lot of resistance, even in my home country of Australia, the commercial and even recreational fishers feel like they're about to get locked out of something that they love so dearly without fully understanding how that area adjacent to a protected area can become a new source just by leaving that area alone. So we need to somehow change mindsets very broadly to understand that without protected areas, the ocean is going to be at threat desperately. Yeah. Man, if we could implement like a global artisanal fishing system, like if you want fish, go catch it, it's fine. If you want to eat fish. Fishing is free. beautiful. It's a beautiful act when done correctly, but these factory ships and these giant super trawlers and the ships that basically just add as the act as the hub for all these other fleets to go around and just pillage the ocean. It's just devastating. And we should know where our fish has come from. And this is where Again, blockchain and open source technology is a huge technological advancement and innovation that we need because we should all know where our fish has come from. If we knew the story of where our seafood came from, we wouldn't eat it for most of what we consume. Now in South Africa and in Australia, do you guys work on like a, a color listing? Do you go to a restaurant like the sustainability of your fish? It is in the hands of the consumer. So we have apps and websites that we as a consumer would need to go and consult. So quite often you might be in a restaurant and you might ask the question, is this a sustainable source? If it's a conscious restaurant, they might be able to tell you, but often they won't. So you'll have to go and do the work and find out whether it's a, a good, bad or a terrible. <laughs> and the, the other problem of course, is whether you want to know that. A lot of people don't want to know that, unfortunately. They, uh, they want to eat the nice piece of, uh, Japanese sushi that has flown over the world four times and uh, or the piece of swordfish fillet and uh, but I want to know the backstory of it they just want to know how it tastes that's it I watched that documentary last night the my octopus teacher which is yeah. uh who is ever going to eat octopus after watching that film I can't <laughs> imagine anyone brilliant that was I enjoyed that so so much it was incredible it was such a refreshing piece of storytelling and I just can't wait Again, this is really, we can wrap the conversation up on this because it is the power of media. Social media is bad and ugly, but it's beautiful. And streaming services that can tell stories like that to transform attitudes on a huge scale. This is why this term ocean literacy and you increase ocean literacy through what you do. We try, that film does it. We need to bring planet ocean into everyone's consciousness because when we realize how important it is and how beautiful and fragile each and every individual organism is, we will change things on a big scale. Absolutely. Just one, one screen at a time, one click at a time. It's, yeah, I think you've hit it on the head there. It's, it's exactly, we need to harness, you need to filter out the, <laughs> that, and everything has their place, but like the makeup tutorials and the things on, 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 on social media and, uh, and bring in, um, 
the, the impact is the people that are, are doing actively working on change and uh, and just highlight these concerns and these issues to to bring it to a global stage yeah and again back to your community and these people from i can imagine just such diverse backgrounds and situations people who've never seen the ocean let alone seen a seal like they are ocean advocates now thanks to the work that you do so i commend you obviously on the physical work because there is what over a thousand seals that have given a second chance of life now as a result of you and your team but it's that digital community which i'm fired up and inspired by yeah it's so cool huh? it, it's it's really it, it's very inspiring it, it's it's very big motivated to go back every day like i can't can't disappoint them so i need to just keep on doing that <laughs> good on you mate any final words to close off this lovely conversation um no i just um uh, waiting for borders and things to open again and uh like please my home is your home you see your ally in the background there not the ideal board for for donkey bay skeleton bay but uh you come grab some seals come grab some waves go around the best left-hand point breaks in the whole world on beach breaks right next to the seal colony so it's the whole package you need to come to Namibia, man. absolutely and uh the same is true you're always welcome here but let's hope we can hug it out rescue some seals together and, and share a few waves yeah man thank you so much mate. for your time it's been really, really cool Thank you, mate. Any, um, do you want to tell people where they can find and follow you? Just knowing this will be a podcast, so a last little um, drive on where people can find, follow, and support you. Yeah, so basically the main, I think the, the best starting point is our website, uh, oceancons.ocnamibia.org. Um, from there, we've, we're doing like weekly newsletters. We're keeping up to date uh, with our socials, everything through there as well. So to, And all our, our funding links are available on there too. We've also got a... a a link now to uh, merchandise. A lot of people have been asking for merchandise. We, we're producing some um, eco range uh, sweaters, shirts, hats, all kinds of cool things. So just uh, pop into the website and, uh, and you can take it from there. Awesome, mate. Thanks for your time and talk to you soon. Keep up your awesome work. Thanks so much. Eh? See you, mate. Bye.
shit out of me.